Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello, and welcome to our first debrief episode of season four of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. And you know what? I think it's worth reminding what these debrief episodes are. But before I do, let's kind of like recap on the format of our show. We kind of have 10 episodes per season. And sometimes within a season, we add some bonus episodes along the way. But after five episodes, halfway through the season, we have a debrief. And then we finish the season with our final debrief. So this debrief episode is of our first five interviews of season four. So what we typically do for our debriefs is to go through the five interviews we've completed. So the first five interviews we did for season four are Mark Runco. Francis Valentine, Carantine Falk, Liz Roday, and Joe Renzulli. And what we're going to do in this episode is highlight the three key insights we have had on those five episodes. And we don't talk to each other beforehand to find out what each other has selected. So Matt, what is the first insight that you had from those five episodes? Okay, my first insight, and these are in no particular order, is I'm thinking a lot about Joe Renzulli's reference to expression preferences. And it wasn't a big part of the show. It was just a a comment in a response to one of our questions. And really what we're talking about with expression preferences is, of course, we as students and as learners like to express our understanding and express our creativity through different outlets. And, you know, I've gone away and really thought about that. How much opportunities do I have in my classroom for students to differentiate the way they're expressing knowledge? And even though I sometimes do project-based learning environments, I've kind of been reflecting on, do I, to a certain extent, still have a similar medium to which they're expressing themselves? And of course, you know, if if you're in a class teaching animation, then you probably are going to have a medium of animation to express that. But thinking about all of the potential ways that we can kind of like provide opportunities, provide options for our students to express their knowledge and creativity in different ways is something that I've certainly been thinking about as an instructor, but then also as a parent. You know, I see my children express their creativity differently. They can absorb the same information about volcanoes, for example. One of them wants to produce a documentary film about it. Another one wants to kind of like, you know, draw a picture about it. And these are different methods of expression. Now, you mentioned expression. I was thinking a lot about problem solving. So one of mine was using YouTube videos with Carrington Falk and helping students problem solve and express themselves in meaningful ways. And it was interesting. There was a lot of discussion on my LinkedIn profile about Carrington's episode. And someone said, why should we be having students express themselves through or problem solve through YouTube videos what we should be doing is have them problem solving on real world problems. And for me, it, I, I was thinking a lot about this. For me, I really think it's a yes and. I think it depends on the context and the content that we're teaching. I think it's wonderful to do things that are going to help the community and help the environment. And I'm all 100% for that. And we also have to recognize, as we learned in Francis Valentine's episode, that digital innovation and being aware of what's going on 
with media and the internet is really critical. And that having students use these different technological products can help them in the future with their own work in whatever domain they end up in. So I certainly think that's a yes and. So mine comes from, yours came more from the expression, mine came more from the problem solving aspect of that. What I would say to that is, first of all, YouTube is a platform to which we can interact and view lots of different types of videos. So, you know, the idea of producing a YouTube video per se, I think that might be something that we talk about, but really that's not the medium. You know, you can go and create an animation, you can create a stop motion projects, and you can create a weather report, and all of them can end up as a YouTube video. But I would argue that they're different types of videos within the kind of like bigger version of a video. So I, I do like just touching base on video a little bit. Even with my eldest right now, he's really got into making videos and I've got, kind of got him uh, an editing application, taught him to use it a little bit, got him a video camera. And what's interesting is he bounces around. So when he got really interested in climate change, for example, he wanted to produce a documentary about climate change. And so I went and found some websites to where we can download B-roll. And so what he's doing there is he's, he's selecting the different images of, of like, you know, uh, events that we kind of connect or associate with climate change. And then he kind of assembles them into the timeline and then he creates a narration for them. So he's creating a nar narration. But then he also has a friend that he plays with regularly, a family friend. She comes around and they produce fictional videos and they've got this whole series that they're producing. And so he's saying, Daddy, you know, uh, you know I want to produce a, a YouTube channel with my friend. And that's a whole nother conversation to talk about um, children having YouTube channels. But the point is that's, and I would argue is another outlet there. You've got a lot more imagination, you know, they're playing these fun characters and also you can see their acting skills. Both of them are in a drama club. They both love acting. So you can see that the act of making a video, actually you've got two different types of, I would, I would argue forms of creative expression coming out, despite the fact that they're actually video and could be YouTube videos. So I think that it does connect, and I think we should be mindful of the fact that it, I think video is a great outlet for students to express themselves, and there's lots of different ways to which you can express yourself through video. And I will also build on that really quickly before we go to the next one, that we recently have been doing some YouTube videos on creativity, which is my YouTube station, and we had these family exercises. So the first one we did was um, designing your own family camp, and the second one was reinventing game night. And so we actually, I actually hired my 14 year old son to film it, edit it, create the story around it based on my criteria. So he was like, we should do this. I'm like, no, that doesn't fit our audience. That doesn't fit our audience. And he was like, well, what about this? I'm like, nope, that I, I can't do that with someone that's a, a mother who's watching this. But he did manage to put some of his own flavor into the video, and those can be viewed on our YouTube station. So I'll, I'll make sure I add that link because even just designing your own family camp, what we went through to go through that and the video design and the storytelling was a real um, treat for this summer. Yeah, I love that. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll throw in a link to uh, some of the really, you know, on Dads for Creativity a few years ago, I kind of had some kind of like simple ways of getting into video. Um, because one of, one of the things that I did when my child was three or four, so we've, if we've got any listeners now with children at three or four, I, my eldest would draw pictures, in essence, like storyboards. 
And he was like, one of them was about the girl who wanted to grow up. And one was about a tornado, which he called a tomato, which was, which was wonderful. And a tomato going and destroying a village. But he, he kind of drew the story through eight different pictures that were on eight different pieces of paper. And I took my phone one day and I simply went, put 10 seconds video of each of those images. Then I simply got my, 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 the voice app on the phone and had him narrate the story. So he told the story. And then in um, iMovie on the app, I simply went and just put together the eight images in a row with him narrating and then adding some sound effects. And now I've got captured these wonderful stories of a three, four-year-old. And I've even gone into some elementary classes and done that exercise. And it's so simple. You don't have to be an expert with technology or an expert in video to do that. And, um, and again, it's, I've just shared another example of a video that can end up on YouTube, which is, again, very different than the other two examples that I've given. So it really shows, I think, the differentiation within video. So I'll include a link to that. And then, you know, we've also created some magic trick videos as well. So I'll, I'll add some of the links to these videos as well. Really, really simple things to do as both, I think, elementary educators and then also uh, as parents as well. Fantastic. So you want to tell me your second one? All right. So my second one. So Francis Valentine, um, as, as a reminder, we, we someone recommended Val- Francis Valentine to us to talk a little bit about the future creative, which is one of the themes that we've identified um, on this show that, that is coming up a lot. And in our conversation toward the end of the interview, we, we spoke about the future creative as being someone who kind of knows, and I, I'm paraphrasing what Francis says, who knows when to turn off the algorithm, when to use the algorithm and when to turn it off. And in essence, you know, that came from discussions around cobots and discussions about, you know, Google searches and even Google Maps and the idea of, okay, well, you want to get from point A to point B really quickly and effectively and avoid traffic, then you want to have Google Maps. But if you want to go and explore and discover something new in your area, then of course, that might be a time not to use Google Maps and simply just drive, right? Right. And, you know, I think that metaphor, that story, I think speaks a little bit to the future creative, right down to Google searches. When you search for something, you're probably going to be stumbling across things that you typically find because the algorithm is is becoming more aware of who you are and the type of things that you're interested in. But, you know, we spoke about this idea of going and doing a search in incognito, which isn't tracking your, your, you're using your data to kind of inform the search. And therefore, you might stumble across things that you haven't stumbled across before. And so all of these these things package into this idea of, look, there's going to be times in the future when we can utilize the algorithms to assist us in the creative process. And then there's going to be times where actually maybe we want to switch them off and, and just be ourselves. So I, I love that comment. Um, and I'd be interested to, to kind of hear your, your thoughts about that as well. I love that as well. It was not one of my three, but I have done a lot more incognito searches as a result of that conversation and have been thinking about it a lot. My second one was actually around Mark Runco and creative potential. And it was really interesting because when we interviewed Mark and he was talking about just look for that spark, look for something that really differentiates the student. And you can find things that differentiate every student and really identify and and mark that. And you don't need to test all the time to know that there's creative potential there. You can see it, right? And you can see it early on. And I thought that was such an obvious thing, but not something that we talk about enough. What, What I found really interesting about Mark Runco's episode was the fact that right after we 
did that episode, I was having a conversation with someone about my childhood and I told them that I went to a special school and they said, well, did that school cost money? And I said, yes. And this person said, well, how is it that you're the youngest of five children? And my dad was a mechanic and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and they were great parents. But why did all the other children go to public school and I went to this special school? And so I didn't actually know the answer to that, Matt. So I went to my mother and I asked her, I said, what, how were you able to afford it? She said, we couldn't afford it because, you know, we, we were in a family that if milk wasn't on sale that week, you know, we didn't get milk. But she said, your preschool teacher said she saw something in you and that you should go to this school. And she said, and I trusted her and I sent you to this school. And I was honestly shocked because we had just talked about their creative potential. And I was shocked that they made that sacrifice for me and how much of an impact that made on the rest of my life, that sacrifice they made so that I could go to this special school. And I I just think that that teacher um, who saw me at four years old saw something different in me and did something about it. And I think that more teachers out there listening can do that for the students. So whether it be, wow, I see something really special in math and, and bringing that up at those teacher conferences, or I see your, your child has a, a real interest in media and you might want to think about getting them into a media class. All of those things that can help the child really flourish in that creative potential. I, I love that as a takeaway. You know, there's part of me that wants to build on that, but I, I, I think I just want to leave it with the takeaway of if you're a teacher and educator and you see a child expressing an interest in something or expressing, you know, uh, a skill or a talent that the parent-teacher conference meetings is definitely an opportunity to bring that up to, to inform the parent. And hopefully as parents, when we receive that information, we can go away and think a little bit more about that. And I've certainly used this example in the past. You know, uh, I think it was actually when I was talking the Dads of Creativity episode and, and about parental bias. But my children are being exposed to soccer. And my middle son, I would say, fits all of the criteria of that kind of like natural athlete killer instinct. And he's, he's going down soccer and he loves soccer. and He's good at soccer. But what other potential does he have in other sports? that I, A, might not be able to recognize because I don't have that background. Um, Or B, we may never find, he would never have an opportunity to express that talent because he isn't given an opportunity to go and do another sport. And and of course, the the latter part is, is, is challenging. It gets us into a lot of difficult conversations around equity because opportunity obviously is a significant factor. But we can think about the first part, which is, that we should be able to express both as parents and as teachers, have that conversation that we can kind of like have that dialogue when we spot a talent or a skill set or an interest to make sure that, that everyone's aware of it. Great. So let's hear your last one, Matt. That was it. Creative potential. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't really got much more to, to talk about. I think in, in many ways you, you summarize what I was thinking about this idea that you know, probably in all of us, we have this creative potential and maybe in some ways not to kind of like, you know, go down a kind of like, you know, negative road of regrets and worrying about the past, but maybe just to have a better understanding of well, what, what was some of the creative potential that existed in us through, through the way we looked at things, through the ideas that we generated that we never actually went and enacted in the world where it wasn't actually expressed as a behavior in in an environment and what might we have done that and not do that as I said as regrets but actually to become more sensitive and aware to the fact that we can actually help others 
be better at identifying that and expressing that. And I suppose in some ways, it's a full circle back to what we discussed at the beginning. It's why it's important for us to have these different opportunities for for creative expression. It taps into Liz's episode around, you know, personalized interest projects as well. and, And making sure that, you know, if you can, somewhere in a, in a high school experience or a middle school experience, there is a chance for children to go and create something that is just based on their interests. Well, it's interesting because my third one was actually around the interest piece because it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And and I was thinking about Joe Renzulli's episode and all the work that they have created at the Renzulli Learning Systems to help parents and teachers identify student interests and to give them resources to encourage that. I was thinking about the personal interest projects that Liz Rade talked about. There's just so many resources out there that we can give to parents and teachers to help develop those interests. So I think that pattern of, I see a potential in this area, here's some resources, go and explore that. And making sure that happens, like you said, Matt, in every single stage of the whole educational system, that we have this opportunity to go and explore our interests. And those interests might change, and that's okay, but that we continue to build our interests and our creativity in those interests. Yeah, and I I think, you know... I don't want to kind of like move away from the fact that we do have a challenging system. We spoke about this with, with Joe Renzulli where, you know, there are certain boxes that need to be ticked and, you know, there, there, there will always be educators that are sitting there saying this, this is great, but I don't have the means to do that. And I think as an administrator, it's, that's why I, that's why I kind of like do like the idea of these innovation spaces and sometimes innovation spaces that exist outside the classroom environment, because, you know, if you can find 30 minutes or 45 minutes in the day, you know, or, or maybe 90 minutes over a course of a week for for students for kids to get out of their classroom environment and go to a space where there is lots of options available to them to explore that actually might be all that that is needed for a student to identify or someone else to identify students creative potential number one and actually to, to throw in another piece here joe renzuli we had this conversation around like you know what other ways could we evaluate schools i mean we might always include test scores but we spoke about the fact that hey you know maybe school administrators and and schools should be better at communicating how many types of these projects have been produced, putting these types of student projects at the forefront. Any extracurricular activities where uh, students are kind of like, you know, uh, robotics or or anything that where parents coming in and doing an innovation challenge of some sort, that this is also first and foremost what we see and interact with at the school environment. So we're not always putting test scores as the number one thing that we want to kind of like promote in our schools, but actually all of the different opportunities for creative expression and these types of projects where students can pursue their interests, that that is also a significant part of a school story. Fantastic. Well, Matt, it was great talking with you about these last five episodes. Now, if you're listening, here's what we would love for you to do. If you like these episodes, think about one that you could share with your colleagues and forward it to them and invite them to listen to the episode. We would greatly appreciate that. And before we go, we do need to make an announcement because we're doing something a little bit different in this season. To be fair, it's the the kind of like the first time where we've kind of got ourselves where we're doing a whole season over the summer months. But Cindy and I are going away for a couple of weeks. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of hit a pause button in the middle of season four. So... This actually would be the last episode for a few weeks that is associated with season four. And what we're going to do is we're going to throw in a few different things 
that, that is still highly relevant. We're going to have a few creativity tip episodes. The other thing we're doing, and I'm really excited about this, is we're aware that that some of you may not have actually have had the opportunity to check out some of our episodes from season one. So we're actually going to go and provide a very short introduction to some of our first ever episodes in the Fueling Creativity podcast. And that is going to probably take us three to four weeks or five weeks up to around about, I think, somewhere like late August, Cindy. And then we're going to kick off the school year, uh, the second part of season four. So we wanted to kind of give you a heads up that that's happening. So we do have this break in the middle of season four, which is new for us. Well, this concludes this episode of the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode or past or future episodes, please reach out to us at questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This podcast was produced by Creativity and Education and in partnership with dadsforcreativity.com. Our editor is Sina Yusef Sadeh.